Hello, everyone, everyone. and welcome 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 back to to another uh, another episode of Stacked. Today's episode is about... Ensemble, ensemble movies, film. movies, which is Mostly the uh, which <laughs> <laughs> great work. Okay, we can stop doing that. <laughs> that was that's a good team building exercise, you know. And I think I think we did a pretty good job considering our circumstances between uh, sort of internet lag. You know, I bet we've done a much better job if we were all together in the same room. Uh, anyways, the boys around the fire, or the office, are really wild about these ensemble pictures. Yes, yeah, what he said. Uh, like we said, welcome back everyone to episode fifty-four of Stack. We've done fifty-four of these motherfuckers, and now we're back and we're talking ensemble movies because today a big ensemble movie is coming out into theaters: The Suicide Squad. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And there's a, there's a lot of freaking, there's a lot of heckin' people in that movie. There's a, I remember, I remember when we saw, like, when they announced the cast and, like, what, who each character was playing. I thought it was insane. Like, how can a, how can a superhero team be that big? Obviously, there's gonna, it's gonna shrink, gonna you know? Die. It's gonna shrink by the end of the movie, drastically, but we'll see what happens. Uh, boys, how, how we doing? Chris, Brandon, you're here. It's a Monday afternoon, Monday night recording we're gonna talk movies uh now i do want to ask ensemble movie i think that's another broad term you know we had a discussion in the past of of like i remember chris you asked me um that maybe this movie will come up on the podcast today but you said is moonrise kingdom an ensemble movie was that you who asked me that i don't know it might have been but i i can't be sure but it's hard to like to figure out what's an ensemble movie or not because there's multiple players going on at once. So I want to ask you, Chris, like, what was your reasoning behind choosing a truly great ensemble movie? For me, it was kind of just like the idea for me is that it's just any kind of film that features just um, like the idea for me was really just a cast that is stacked. That's all that I really look <laughs> for. I didn't really hey, like intended. dive into the semantics about like what an ensemble is or whatever. I was kind of yeah. like, what's a film that has like um, a cast that is really like that is literally stacked or um, it's just like, I don't know. Is I have a pick here or there that uh, where the cast existence itself is already a, kind of an achievement. But I'll like, I'll explain how that what I mean by that when I get to that pick. But yeah. How about you, Brandon? What did you pick? I mean, um, not what did, what did pick, I pick? How, All right, how, I picked these three, movies. <laughs> these three movies. <laughs> um, so essentially, like the way I went about it was like I looked at like the ensemble movies that are like of the basic terms. Like, what do you think of when you think of ensemble movies? Like, what's the first thing you think about? These aren't going to be on any of our lists, but I think of movies like Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, those S- kind of movies. Where oh, the, the massive stop. Those are on my desk. but no like matt okay because it's like if you're breaking it down as a genre right that's like the first type people talk about is like those big celebrity cast maybe it's like they have only small parts in a movie that make up a bigger whole like it's anthology anthological you know 
Um, and I thought about that. So I have one for those. And then you think of like big superhero team ups or even like, you know, like a, a big movie with just a lot of stars in it because like there's a famous director. So like you could see a Wes Anderson movie on here because I do think those are uh, kind of uh, they're kind of a, a, they're kind of ensemble movies in that sense, because always since uh, Bottle Rocket, I think like he's always assembled a large cast that is full of like stars that are like comedic and dramatic and it's good since bottle rocket his first movie <laughs> ever since he's well, like he started with you know bottle rocket <laughs> no, no after I know bottle you... rocket I, oh, you know okay. what's me because yeah. like rushmore is like his like that has like jason schwartzman and like bill murray and i think isn't like tilda swinton in it or something is she not in that one she's some some people are in that movie okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny but you brought it, up like those kinds of movies like the with like the weird like kind of giant ensemble cast where like the stories don't even necessarily coexist they're just under one umbrella term of like valentine's day like movie 43 is kind yeah, of yeah i was just gonna say movie, movie 43 right? a huge ensemble film technically yeah <laughs> and we're we're gonna get into that formula one of my picks but uh I don't want to spoil it but we'll we'll get into it and i, I for me yeah i think i went off the same robert thing. rodriguez like, is shorts oh now that (laughs) no i just like yeah i i picked uh big casts and uh impressive casts and sort of like how well they mix with each other you know i feel like you could have a big cast of a lot of people but just because it's impressive doesn't mean like the movie's all that great you know like i'm talking Lion yeah. King 2019, you know, like, come on. Mm-hmm. I remember that cast was like, everyone was like, what, how? And that movie came out, I'm just like, Ugh. I, I think it has to be like a number of A-listers or like high-level B-listers that make yeah. up like an ensemble cast, right? Yeah. Or so many B-listers that it's an ensemble cast because it's like, how do they get all these people who are usually like secondary? That is correct. That is correct. So yeah, that's what that's what we did to figure out these stacks. But before we get into our picks, of course, let us go down the rules of the show for the 54th time. Once a week, we set a topic or theme and go our separate ways, construct our own three-film stack. Then after a week, we come back here on the podcast and share our own stacks one film at a time. Then at the end of the show, we'll mix and match our nine films to make the ultimate decision what quintessential three-film stack we are checking out at this hypothetical video store. Chris? Wait, before we start, yeah, I have a question. Okay. So... Can a movie, and this is just a hypothetical, you know, can a movie not be an ensemble movie and then become an ensemble movie over time because actors become more famous? You yes. know, so the I person, agree. I think it does. The perspective of the viewer is like, hey, that person's famous to me, even though, like, like Groundhog Day is an example. Like, I, I, there are plenty of famous actors in that movie who are like not really big roles in the movie. But that have become famous since, or there's something yeah. about Mary, I, and it's like I, what? I actually thought about this as well, Brandon, because I like there was a brief moment of time where when we got this prompt, I thought of Superbad, um, but obviously we can't pick that movie because it was selected for two thousand movies. Mm-hmm. But um, that's a good example, I feel like, because a lot of those actors kind of exploded after that movie came out, yeah, um, but weren't huge prior. So I think that's a good example of like a film becoming an ensemble film without having initially being that mm-hmm. so i guess that's an example but it's also kind of an ensemble just because there's a group of people a large group of people yeah it's part. like 
Yeah. It it depends how like people interact with each other like in the film, you know, because I thought of one of those too where uh one of my honorable mentions was uh Wet Hot, Wet Hot American Summer where that was like a lot of big comedy stars first films, you know? Like you got Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, like nobody knew who they were when that movie came out, but now they're like they're huge, you know? But and going now, back and watching it you're like yeah, you're like damn, this is a stacked cast. Subscribe to Stack Podcast, by the way. Uh, anyways, Chris, what is your first ensemble film? Cool. There's actually, I'm glad that this topic came up um, pretty quickly after we did our Origins episode because mine's actually a sequel to an Origins film that that I chose. Um, we talked about X Men First Class in the Origins episode, so I felt it was a natural compliment to put Days of Future Past. Yeah. Um, so when I first saw this movie, other than having read the comic book, I didn't know anything about how this movie was going to go or anything like that. Cause I had seen the films and read the comic book, but like um, I didn't have any context for what days of future past was going to be. Um, and it really blew me away. It was kind of like a brief, like return to form for those kinds of like X-Men films because like they're, as we all know, they're very erratic in their quality. Um, but yeah, it had a really compelling story and really excellently choreographed action set pieces, especially that Quicksilver scene which is like most people will say like that was kind of like worth the price of admission. Um, yeah, I actually, I like, I thought about picking the first Avengers film instead, but I actually wanted to highlight this one um, be, uh, because while Avengers like brought forth like four distinct heroes into one movie, this actually, at least for me, uh, brought an entire entirely different timelines and realities together in one movie, which I had at least at the time, I hadn't seen, or and at least to me, I hadn't even heard of as an idea. So, you know, you have, like, your old, like, the old, like, crew, which was, like, Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Elliot Page, Halle Berry, and Anna Paquin makes an appearance if you watch The Road Cut. Um, but then you have the newcomers, like James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, and, and I love Evan Peters as Quicksilver. Um... So yeah, it was really cool to me to be able to see all those heroes come together, especially when I was just 15 years old. And like, you know, the classic characters and their modern counterparts interacting with one another. That scene where Professor X and Charles like meet in like a distorted vision of reality. Uh, I don't know. It felt like a really beautiful handing of a torch moment. And I think I could have only ever imagined them doing that through an ensemble film. So Yeah. X-Men Days of Future Past, what do you guys think? Yeah, uh, this is not counting like the solo films. This is my favorite X-Men movie. Um, not only because I feel like it feels the most like I'm reading an X-Men comic when I see this movie. Like I think mm -hmm. I think the costumes are the best in this movie. Um, sort of like I, I love the adaptations of the characters in the like the future world where you got like Storm. I love her outfit in this one. I love Bishop's outfit. I love Wolverine's sort of outfit where it's like it is the yellow and blue. He's not wearing the mask, but he still looks good. Um, and I love I, I, I actually really love what they did with the Sentinels in this movie where you sort oh, of yeah. see them. the future Sentinels. They're like terrifying. They're sort of they remind me of like um, they remind me of like the the alien in Annihilation. If you think about it, like. Sort of like these weird, wow. like, celestial beings, you know, made out of, like, this weird material that you soon figure out is this, uh, based on the DNA of Mystique, which I thought it was a cool twist on it, because it's a good, like, sequel building off of the narrative of First Class, you know? Um, 
And this was back when Mystique, like Jennifer Lawrence still cared about being Mystique. You know, she didn't give up on the role and phone it in. Uh, and I think it, it does a good, it like it's a good adaptation by like taking what works in the films and what works in the comics and sort of putting them together to make a really cool film. Like I love how they, it makes sense for them to send Wolverine back. I know how everyone hated how every X-Men film was based on Wolverine, even though he's like, he's usually just a supporting character in the comics. But I like how they made him like the central character because it makes sense for them to send him back because his body doesn't change if they send his mind back to the 70s, you know? Yeah, um, I do also just like um, appreciate that, like, because in the Days of Future past comic book, uh, Kitty Pride is the one who goes back yeah, rather than Wolverine. But I do like that in the beginning of the movie, you get to see Kitty Pride do that. Well, yeah, but she's like, still she's still the one to send him back. She like sends yeah, his, like she's still his part mind of this back, whole process, you know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And. Speaking of this film as an ensemble piece, yeah, I think everyone plays their role correctly. They all work together really well. Of course, we're introduced to Quicksilver in this movie, and I think it's still, like, my favorite Quicksilver appearance, appearance is in Days of Future Past. You know, like, everyone will remember the time in the bottle sequence. Like, that was that was iconic when it came out, you know? Um, and just we get interacting with... It was just so sweet to see Wolverine interact with this cast that we've now fallen in love with in uh, First Class, you know? And I yeah, I think it works really well as an ensemble film. Like it's it's sort of like it's a multi-level ensemble film because you have two different ensemble casts coming together. So it's like an ensemble of ensembles, you know? And I think it works. I really like I, I love this movie. Brandon, I know you're not too fond on it. So what do you think of Days of Future Past? I like the movie. It's just like upon rewatch, I think it suffers a lot of issues with the pacing. The road cut is actually better in my opinion. I just agree because it integ it integrates in like important backstory. I think that the studio probably wanted to cut because they were like, ah, this is too sweaty for us. We just need modern audiences to kind of like get it. And it's not too sweaty. It's just like, it's more, it's a little bit of a more faithful adaptation of the comic, even though it's like still an adaptation, but as an ensemble, you guys are right. I mean, it's like a film that focuses on, two different bigger ensembles and makes a super ensemble film uh and all i think you can make an argument that any superhero team-up movie is an ensemble film so this works perfectly in that way it's just multiple versions of these characters that we've known and kind of grown up with with the older x-men movies so you have that sense of nostalgia and then you have that new stuff which is really exciting as a side note i forgot peter dinklage was in this movie until just yeah until, oh yeah until, until i'm just sitting trask here. I, yeah. i'm just sitting here and i'm like oh yeah he's in this movie <laughs> and i think he does a great job in this movie no he's yeah, good yeah. yeah he's good yeah. i i just think the movie as a whole is like it's good but it has like so much fan service in it like i i don't and i don't does, necessarily yeah. think it's earned like something like endgame or this Zack snyder justice league movie mm, right so okay. yeah i can see that uh okay well there's our first pick i'm gonna go into my first pick uh we sort of already talked about this director at the beginning of the podcast but i couldn't help but uh pick one of his films and i think this this film is like the most uh the, the most connected ensemble um of wes anderson's films i'm of course talking about the royal tenenbaums um now i could have picked any, like a bunch of other films where i feel like his casts are like stronger but i feel like this this piece is more ensemble where like players that are, are at an equal level to one another you know um 
Like I could I I was considering Grand Budapest Hotel, but I feel like characters don't a- interact enough with one another in that film. You know, it's usually the two main characters interact with another famous person and then they interact with another famous person. But here, I feel like because this is like a family drama, you have characters like the legend Gene Hackman, Ben Stiller, oh. Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know. Uh, who else we got in here? Got Danny Glover. You got, uh, of course, Bill Murray. Uh, Angelica, Angelica, Houston. Angelica Houston. And Alec Baldwin as the narrator. I guess he sort of counts, you know? <laughs> but it just... it was. I think this is a perfectly casted film to just, like, create this dysfunctional family dynamic, you know? Um, everyone plays their role correctly. And also, I just want to... Did you know that... Wes Anderson made the cast of Royal Tenenbaums. He made them watch Evangelion. Did you know that? Because that's one of his greatest... It's one of his greatest inspirations. If you go online and look it up, there's an article where Gwyneth Paltrow talks about how she had to watch all of Evangelion to prepare for Royal Tenenbaums. And that... so fucking crazy it kind of makes sense to be it, honest based it makes on the sense mental torture in that movie the mental torture but, but i can't also, imagine i can't yeah. imagine gene hackman going i'm gonna watch this anime yeah he probably made like the younger cast members do that i don't think he could make gene hackman do it because like he, <laughs> hey, gene, gene hackman was already on the way out when he was watching this movie you know but like <laughs> it's just weird that ben stiller has probably seen evangelion and owen wilson's probably seen evangelion he's like Wow, yeah, get in the get in the Eva, Shinji. Come on, wow. You know? And, <laughs> but it's also just cool to think about that like it kind of makes sense by the way that show is like the the cinematography of that show and how it's blocked. Thinking about how Wes Anderson makes his films, it's kind of similar, you know, with a lot of still frames and like how characters are placed in the frame. It just I, Okay, I didn't pick this film just because I want to talk about even going on, trust me, but because I think this is a pretty damn good ensemble film. I just wanted to bring that up because it's it's like a, now a new layer to my enjoyment of Wes Anderson's film. So what do you guys think about Royal Tenenbaums? I know we all watched together in our Wes Anderson class. So uh, what's your takes? What's your takes, Chris? For me, like, I, I do really like Royal Tenenbaums. It's definitely like upper tier um, uh, Wes Anderson for me. It's just like. I, we've talked about this before where, like, I've gotten so kind of, like, disillusioned with Wes as a director and from our little class about him. It's weird that, like, a class that's meant to appreciate him made me depreciate <laughs> him a little bit. But I really? had the opposite, no. with, I had the no, opposite I just, with Karen Kusama. Really? Yeah. I, you, I, you, you started to admire Karen more? Yeah. I had the opposite like, with both. I, I still very much do like Tenenbaums because, like, and, like, you know, Grand Budapest, I adore. And World Time Bombs, I think, is probably his second best, at least in my opinion. Um, and, yeah, honestly, like, when I watch the movie, I always get such a strong, like, desire to, like, talk to my family after watching this movie. Because it's, like, it's a movie that, like, as dysfunctional as it is, you kind of, like, I think it's it's surprisingly relatable. Because it's, like, a lot of the stuff that happens in this movie is, like, it, some of it can get quite ridiculous. But, like, it's always grounded in this kind of, like... It's about a family that, you know, has some issues and, like, might need to talk about it or whatever. And, like, <laughs> I don't know. Statement of the year. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, like, there's there's a lot going on in this movie and it's easy to kind of, like, feel compelled by it because it's such a 
it's an infectious movie where like you just watch it and you all you want to do is kind of like witness what goes on but also like hopefully reflect on your own family and stuff like that um so i think that he does a really good job and it marries really well with wes's kind of um you know melancholic but offbeat comedy kind of vibe yeah so i think that works really well especially for a film like this so mm. yeah i i buy it this is the first Wes Anderson movie that, like, in if you're going by his filmography chronologically, feels like a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, um, I'd say so. Because it has, like, the same cinematography and uh, not, like, the dollhouse sets that you're used to seeing in his newer works. And, like, stuff that is obviously shot on, like, a soundstage or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, sort of, like... It's framed as such, even though it's like a real building and there's like a certain quaintness to it because with Rushmore and Bottle Rocket, Bottle Rocket, he's very much figuring himself out. He has the quirkiness kind of figuring out there, but like Rushmore just feels like a normal movie with his quirky sensibilities in terms of editing, whereas this actually feels like, oh, this is like the modern Wes Anderson. And it is like very much his first ensemble cast. I mean, it doesn't really... It has, like, five or six people who are, like, really big, right? Mm-hmm. But outside of that, it's not, like, super giant. Right. Like a Grand Budapest or a Moonrise Kingdom or a Fantastic Mr. Fox where every person in the cast is somebody uh, you know uh, from, like, a previous film or something like that, which which is nice to have. Uh, it's a smaller ensemble film in that matter. So I, I'd still consider it as such, like, any Wes Anderson movie post-Rushmore. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I I think it's a good choice. Hell yeah! Well, Brandon, you want to take us into your first ensemble pick? I know Ethan's not gonna like this. I don't even know if Chris has seen this movie. Uh, it's a 2003 film. It's British, so you know Ethan's already gonna hate it. Oh, uh, no, it's don't Love tell Actually. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, go into it. Okay, so this Richard Curtis, I love Richard Curtis. He's a very sincere and sentimental director. He's done one of my favorite movies of all time and uh, about time. We've talked about it before on the podcast, which came 10 years after this film. And I remember this is just a film about love. It's Actually. like literally, it's in the it's in the title. Yeah, it's literally in the title. And I remember seeing it for the first time. And it's all kinds of love. It's like sexual love. It's a friend's love. It's like missed opportunities at romance it's like the magical romance that you see in the movies you know all of that is covered here and it's lost love and tainted love and sibling love it's all the kinds of love that you would expect from real life captured in one film and it feels so honest but at the same time it it captures the magic of cinema because you've got all these famous british actors in here you've got hugh grant you've got colin firth You've got Liam Neeson, you've got Rowan Atkinson, you've got Bill Nye, you've got Alan Rickman, you've got Emma Thompson, and then you've got like, I, I think you've got like a few more actors and they're like up and comers at the time, like Chiwetel Ejiofor uh, and Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead's in this, Kira Knightley's in this movie, and then Thomas Sangster from Game of Thrones later on. And I'm probably forgetting some people because there's so many like famous actors in this movie. And yes, it's certainly not for everyone. It's very anthological. So like there's like it's not like all the plot lines intersect, although they have their fun moments where characters from different storylines are interacting with each other at the same event. But it's more about this the this theme of love over Christmas time. And like as somebody who loves this Christmas 
feeling and optimistic tone mixed with like somewhat of a melancholic feeling of like loss because there is that in the film yeah uh i i just really adore this movie don't get me wrong not a perfect movie but i really enjoy it i really enjoy his work his work as like ethan before i let you uh explode on brandon i'm not um, gonna explode don't worry uh (laughs) Like I so yeah I actually have not seen this movie. I've seen one scene from this film, and it's the one where Andrew Lincoln's holding a bunch of signs, cue cards. Yeah, um, yeah so very, good. very, very cute. Um, you and like not in context. Chris but. will love this movie. I'm just gonna say, Chris, you will love this movie. I think I will like this movie because I'm everybody knows I'm a I'm a big what's the word uh, simp I guess. Um, <laughs> no, you, oh. Chris. No, you're not. You're not a simp. You're not a simp, Chris. But like, a real a word. I'm a romantic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a better romantic. word. But um, yeah, so this kind of thing sounds great to me. Like, right, I love the, like, when you were talking about, like, how this film kind of is the idea of encapsulating just the notion of love in the backdrop of a Christmas set film. Like, that just sounds, fat, like, wonderful to me. I think that's really nice. I think that's great. And I think it's a, I do think it's kind of unique that they have a whole film dedicated to this abstract idea of love and just trying to, like, show it in like different formats and i think that's really great um obviously i can't speak on anything else about the film because other than anything that i the one scene i've seen and of course like the concept of it but i do really like the concept i just i have no idea how the execution went and i wonder if that's where ethan's gonna tear this movie to shreds but this is just not an ethan movie let me get that out of the way this is like you you want to you want (laughs) to you know chime in here okay yeah, no, sorry, my thing just froze for a second. Um, this movie, uh, it feels like a, a a really expensive Hallmark movie. Uh, like, five of Hallmark movies, like, smashed into each other at once. I will say, alright, I'll say two good things about this movie. There's two good plot lines that I think are really good. Uh, is it the Martin Freeman one? <laughs> no. Or, or Lene one? No, it is the uh, Liam Neeson one, because I think I these I think these are the two most different like forms of love that they uh sort of tackle in this one. It's the Liam Neeson plotline, and then it is um the Bill Nye one. I think the Bill Nye one is the best one because that one's just hilarious and how he deals with like his career and like the love is about is between him and his producer or his agent, you know. And yeah. I just <laughs> I just find that so cute. It's like. How he knows he's a deadbeat and he like that shitty song that he made. That's yeah. good, but I feel it in my fingers. <laughs> yeah. That that's good, but the rest of the movie I just find an abysmal train wreck of just like it feels just so fake. It feels fake to me. I don't know. I like, disagree. I disagree. Oh, there okay, there it is. Ding ding ding. I just I don't know. It feels it just Ugh, it makes me feel icky. It makes me feel like I'm back in the pants. It makes me go, ugh, ugh, <laughs> you know? and and yeah, there's I don't know. It's just I just it's so for me. It's like it's so so. It's not for me. I don't. I there is like one that feels inauthentic. It's the Colin Firth one. I mean, the at the one. end, oh, I I, yeah. I think it's the one that. I, I like the ending of it a lot because it does tug at the heartstrings, but I feel like it is the most inauthentic, typical movie thing. You'd read it or see it in a Nicholas Sparks thing. Whereas all the other ones, I feel like there is some like 
it's calling back to something. My favorites in there are the Bill Nye one, which has grown on me over the years. I hated it when I watched it. Uh, <laughs> the the Andrew Lincoln, Kira Knightley one, because it is like, I think very relatable. Uh, and then the the uh, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman one. Uh, I think that one is very poignant and sad. I also so. ha- I hate the Hugh Grant one too. That one's just I don't like, hate the, that the one. That one just is like that, a, that one's just creepy. Th- that feels like a '90s romantic comedy to me. Yeah, and that's why I like it because I like it. It felt like it felt like two woman. weeks' notice. Not only that, not because oh, of Hugh Grant. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't mention like that movie. That movie is. Ugh. But anyways, yeah, I don't know. It, it's not my thing. You already know it's not my thing, and there's nothing I can convince you for it to not be your thing either. So, there we go. Yeah, to- All right. totally agree. Love, comma, actually, that is the name of the movie. All right, Chris, what's your number two? All right, so my number two film. So when I was thinking about, um, you know, ensemble films, I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, like ensemble films. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think, and I was like, wait a minute. All these films that I've been thinking about have been live action. For good reason. A lot of people immediately think of a cast that is uh, live action when you think ensemble. But I think there's also space for animation uh, ensemble films. Yeah. Um, so let me list out this, this amazing cast for you. I think you might be able to piece it together as it goes along. Jack Black, Dustin Hoffman, Angelina oh. Jolie, <laughs> Lucy Liu, Jack Jack, yeah, Seth Rogen, David Cross, James Hong, Ian Machane, Michael Clark Duncan, Randall Duck Kim, and in the sequels, they're joined by Michelle Yeoh, Gary Oldman, Brian Cranston, and J.K. Simmons. So it's just the first one. This is just the first one. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, it's Kung Fu Panda from 2008. Um, yeah, it's a ridiculous story beyond absurd concept, but what it comes with is a surprisingly heartwarming and authentically told story about identity, self-worth, and destiny that resonates surprisingly deeply with a lot of people. Um, one thing I do want to highlight about this film is the craft is incredible. The On top of its very tight script and animation style really honoring the kind of like Eastern aesthetic that they're kind of pulling from. Uh, the music is fantastic, Hans Zimmer. And I think he has a, I think there's another person associated with the music who did a really great job. Um, yeah, I really think this is a beautifully done movie. Um, one thing I do want to talk about this with, about with this movie is like this movie is actually really beloved over in China. Um, it's known in China for being like this like weird random American movie that somehow managed to kind of like encapsulate that feeling of China in such a like interesting and like beautiful way. Um, there's a whole kind of discussion about cultural imperialism that you could have with about that. There's a good YouTube YouTube video essay that you could look at that. It's just, I think it's just called Why China Cares About Kung Fu Panda. Um, but yeah, uh, like it's one of those movies that I think is just a lot of fun. And yeah, the stack, the, the, sorry, the cast is really stacked. They have every, pretty much every main player in this film is like a famous voice actor or just a famous actor in general. Um, yeah, what do you guys think? Kung Fu Panda. I, I just like uh it's it's DreamWorks and Warner Brothers uh over people like Pixar and Disney. They sell their films on their voice acting because I remember especially in the late 2000s and early 2010s like the trailers didn't just 
like they sold it on the voice acting you know they didn't sell it on the story necessarily like they go like jack black angelina jolie and showing the characters off just so like uh adults would know and they'd be like oh i'll go to this movie because that's what people need to go see movies i guess celebrity names i mean it definitely helps in certain regards but like that's the case right and i i i the Kung Fu Panda movies are some of the best DreamWork movies and most consistent, I think. I, the How to Train Your Dragon and um, Kung Fu Panda movies. Because I remember watching all three and being like, yeah, they're all pretty good. Um, and it's, it's funny that you say that it's so appreciated by China and stuff. I don't know. Is Kung Fu Fighting a very popular song over there? Like, it was, at least in, like, for me, like, growing up in Hong Kong, it really was. But, like... I think it was just kind of like a fun, upbeat song about Kung Fu. It was never like, there was never like a deeper appreciation okay. than this okay. one ass song. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was just worried, you know, because, uh, <laughs> you know, because it's like, it's like, no, yeah, it, is, it is like, yeah. does that constitute yeah. cultural appropriation from this band or whatever that? Yeah, I, I get what you mean. But like, at least, at least for my upbringing, there was never really a conversation about that. But maybe some people feel that way. I don't know. It definitely captures those sensibilities, though, the Eastern, like, way of thinking around around faith and stuff like that and i don't know if there's any significance to the animals within the film that they choose like the panda the mantis the tiger i'm sure there is right like like turtle aren't they aren't they all based off moves there's that yeah they're like they're animate i but i think like their moves are based off their and the animal that they chose but I mean, there's a lot of thinking that goes into that, right? If you're like a production coordinator or something. And I think yeah. that's a deeper level you can kind of analyze the film from. And it is a very heartfelt story. I've I never seen wanna, it. Sorry, like, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I, I just want to say, like, there's they have this really funny, like, ongoing joke throughout this movie where, like, like I think you will only understand this if you speak Chinese. But, like, characters are sometimes named their title or their animal. So, like, Master Ugwe. Ugwe is the word for turtle. So master turtle. Master <laughs> Shifu. Shifu means master. So his name's Master Master. In this oh movie. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nice little nice little Easter egg there. That's, That's funny. But, yeah. Uh yeah, I very heartfelt. This is this is a um one of those movies that on Letterboxd I put as a three stars just because I don't remember enough to like say if i like enjoyed it or not because it's been such a long time i think i've only seen this once in theaters i remember seeing it in the i saw it with my grandma at the dollar theaters and there was a bunch of kids like running up and down the hallways um and like screaming and stuff like that i remember that really soiled my experience and i was like whatever kung fu panda but me with monsters back, versus aliens <laughs> yeah oh, i love monsters yeah. versus aliens anyways um <laughs> i but like Jack ba- Jack Black was like made for this character, you know? Like you couldn't imagine oh, anyone else so playing Poe the panda. Like one of my favorite bits is the skadoosh that he does. I remember that that was the one that killed me as a kid. Like I love that. Um and yeah, I just I need to give I really want to rewatch this movie. Like I think I would enjoy it a lot more now that I've like seen a lot more dreamworks films a lot more animation and like i don't know have a higher sensibility than i was when i was a nine-year-old kid uh but yeah this is good cast like yeah this is a stacked like cast uh angelina jolie jackie chan i mean monkey uh (laughs) 
Yeah. Jackie it's Chan stuff. is monkey. It's just, this is one of those movies that you don't realize is an ensemble if you're, like, not paying attention. Because, right. like, you, yeah. you, you know, Jack Black just stands out so much. Like, you never think of, like, Dustin Hoffman as, like, this big... As sort of food. yeah yeah as like a big actor you know especially a kid like i don't i don't think i knew who dustin hoffman was when i saw this movie in theaters and, like the only people <laughs> who have like really distinct voices besides jack black are like uh seth rogan maybe? seth rogan and probably james hong too if like if you know films i feel like james yeah, hong yeah. has a very if distinct you listen, voice you if know you listen for it you might be able to hear it but yeah it's like it's like angelina jolie like, like really. i don't i don't know any kid who's gonna be like Oh, I know that Yo, I know her. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. yeah, but it's still like they built up the characters quite well with the voice actors. And yeah, I will really want to like, I'm not joking. I really want to rewatch this film now. It's on Netflix. I might do it soon. All right. I want to watch all three. I haven't seen good. the third one. The second got, one makes me cry. Third one's regularly. pretty okay. It's I don't right. really remember the second one either. The second sure. one's probably better than the first one. If I'm Maybe really. If you guys yeah. have time, we could watch it after Kissing Booth tonight. Oh, by the way, everyone, we're watching Kissing Booth right after this. Uh, yep, that's what we're doing. We're committed to that, aren't we? That's yep. Yeah. Unless, unless we veto. <laughs> unless no, we no. veto and watch Kung Fu Panda instead, which would be awesome. No, I I veto. I veto. I veto. <laughs> I veto. Damn it! All right. We can only we can watch. watch it. What if we, we can... watch it after? Here's my rule. We watch all three Kung Fu Panda movies tonight, or we watch King Sing Booth. It's already 8 o'clock. We're, not, we're only halfway through the podcast. How are we going to watch three movies? I got work in the morning. Okay. Okay, Kissing Booth it is. <laughs> Shit! Then I buried Kissing myself Booth alive Kung Fu with Panda. that one. <laughs> Let's do Kissing Booth and Kung Fu Panda as well. I'll do that. I'm okay with that. If we we can decide this later, we'll see how long this takes us. So maybe we can try to speed things up so we can do it. All right, my second pick, I had to go with another director who brings in great ensembles. That is Quentin Tarantino, and I yes, want to do another one where, of course. um, this ensemble like clashes with each other a lot in the film. I went with The Hateful Eight as my hey, second pick. Um, controversial controversial why is that controversial because people don't really I like just this think one I'll... that's right that's I what i said yeah <laughs> that's what i said <laughs> you didn't say it. you just said it was controversial i don't know like why is, is there like a controversial scene in it there is a controversial i said it in my i said it in my head but i said know, in my I head okay why don't you hear my thoughts all right uh <laughs> hateful eight uh was a total surprise to me i remember watching this like not the only Tarantino movie I'd seen before this one was Pulp Fiction. And I was like, well, that cool movie. You know, I was like, well, that cool movie. They say, they say a lot of swear words, five stars, you know? Um, and then <laughs> I watched Hateful Eight and I was like, whoa, this is like a movie. And I didn't like, I did not feel it's three hours when I saw it. I remember watching this alone on my big screen TV, like bundled up on my couch and just like the way things like amp up in this movie and the way actors like go at each other's throats when they're trapped in this log cabin together. It's just so it. great. So many great monologues in this movie. Like you have like two monologue masters in this movie and that's Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell. Like the way yeah. they present themselves and the way they tell stories, like you can't help but feel captivated, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And then you have, of course, Jennifer Jason Lee. She's she is insane in this movie. And Walton Walton Goggins is like Walton Goggins. He is completely unlikable, but like in a likable sense, you know, like, God damn, you were one of the worst motherfuckers alive, you know? Like he is just able <laughs> to play just a fucking just a bitch in this movie, you know? And then you have like Bruce Dern. Who's like this really old racist. man? A really racist, racist old man. Then you got like Tim Roth and everything like that. And then you got like Chan- surprise Chan- cameos. I had no idea Channing Tatum was gonna show up for a second in this movie, and then <laughs> only for his face to be blown movie. off. You know? Yeah. And I don't know. I just, I mean, I watched this movie before I watched the thing. So like watching the thing, I was like. This kind of reminds me of Hateful Eight. I'm I'm digging this movie, you know. And yeah, now knowing that like it was inspired that was it. the biggest inspiration for this movie, and they used the original score to the thing for this film. I'm just like, goddamn, it was meant to be. It was meant for me to love this movie. So yeah, Hateful Eight, Brandon. I know you are a huge fan of the Hateful Eight. What do you think? Yep. So this was I. I had seen uh, Django Unchained. That was my first Tarantino movie, and then I wa- went back and watched his earlier stuff. So I watched uh pulp fiction reservoir dogs and kill bill volumes one and two and i remember being like wow i love this guy and every teenage boy loves tarantino like that's yep a guarantee it's a rule yeah it's like it's like bound to happen if you watch his movies at that age so like when i was a teenager growing up and this was his first movie after django unchained that i had to see in theaters and they had canceled it originally because they leaked the script online Oh, and I was yeah. like, "Did you, you remember that?" And I they were like, that. "And they did the they did the stage play, and the, everybody the loved it so." Yeah. yeah, that they were like, "All right, we got to make this movie." And people's dream casts were like coming true for these roles. And he altered the script just a little bit, you know, uh, extended it for this Netflix thing that I haven't watched yet. But I remember seeing this thing in theaters and being like, "Wow, this is like fascinating and awesome." Because I love the Western genre, especially modern westerns, you know um because they really like they really do things that older westerns weren't capable of doing in terms of scope and in terms of scale and uh, i didn't watch the 70 millimeter print too bad because this is one of the ones that he shot on 70 millimeter and i'm super sad i didn't my parents went to it wow and i'm so jealous and they had like they had the intermission they were like giving pamphlets and everything like that and i'm like god damn it i saw it opening night (laughs) and i remember loving it and i was like why do people not like this movie as much because it's it's mostly audiences i feel like who don't like it as much less so critics i mean critics didn't like it as much as his other stuff but maybe you could draw some like parallels to other films from the past but i i think it's a fantastic movie the dialogue's great the editing's great I just I loved it. It's him up to his old tricks again, and it's a great ensemble cast. You're right about that. Kurt Russell and Samuel Jackson, Walton Goggins steals the show. He's yeah. so good in this movie, uh, even though you hate his guts for ninety percent of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just uh, and the second I got a story. The second time I watched this movie, I was just getting off my shift, and I had promised all of my friends from academic decathlon. We gotta go see Hateful Eight. They're all big Tarantino buffs. I live in a pretty conservative area in Arizona, or at least the time it was more conservative. And I remember people being like, okay, let's go to that movie. And I get off my shift late. 
and I gave them passes and the passes weren't available for that movie yet. So they all had to pay tickets and I come storming in the movie late, like in my work uniform or whatever. And we're, it's the middle of the, the Sam L. Jackson monologue. Uh, where he's telling the story about the controversial story in the oh, yeah. movie. I don't know if you guys remember, but all right, yeah. I, I I just remember everybody was like loving it, and I was so worried because are they? Is it accessible? I hope it is. It definitely <laughs> was. Yeah, Chris. No, yeah, hateful eight is like it's one of those movies. I think is like quite underrated. I feel like a lot of people don't give this movie the credit it deserves. And like, at least to me, like, this is my third favorite of Tarantino's movies. And like, I've been like, I like, I don't know how I feel about the guy as a person, but like, I love his films. I think he's a genius filmmaker. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really well done film. The intensity that is brought out by nothing more than eight people in one house is really, really well done. I can't think of like a like if we ever did a stack for like bot like movies in a bottle with yeah. like one seat one set or whatever this is top tier for me i love um, bottle movies and bottle episodes yeah. so much yeah they yeah. do they do such a fantastic job uh with it and i think yeah the cast is absolutely fantastic everybody inhabits their role really well um you learn you want all of them to die throughout this movie <laughs> yeah. and you just but sometimes you just want a certain one to die more than the another, <laughs> but yeah, great movie. And they, they so probably much. do based on and how they the movie ends. But yeah, I think this is great. All right, yeah, hatefully had to include it. All right, Brandon, what's your second pick? Well, it's funny that uh, you mentioned a Wes Anderson movie because I'm mentioning a Wes Anderson movie. I'm mentioning the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, this is probably top three Wes Anderson for me, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was probably my second or third Wes Anderson film. and my definitely my first in theaters because I remember seeing the, the trailer so many times and being like my to my dad, we have to see this movie, dude. And <laughs> I mean, there are tons of stars in this movie. And I get your point, Ethan, because I know you brought it up earlier. Didn't want to say anything. Um, <laughs> th- that, <laughs> that, yes, there are characters that just show up for one brief scene like that sequence where it's where it's like the the hotel like illuminati basically all these different hotels like yeah asking he's just asking for like this panache like perfume as he got out of prison (laughs) um but like i think that's what makes it charming because like these are a-list actors and even in some ensemble movies a-list actors just make a cameo you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, think of like a D- Deadpool two. Brad Brad Pitt makes a cameo in that movie. <laughs> the, the, that's not the, what I was the, expecting. <laughs> the Deadpool two, the entire Dark Phoenix cast makes it makes an appearance. Right, exactly. Or like in like the end End Game, how like all the side actors at the or in the the characters that were dusted. Spoiler, at the end of the movie. You know, it's just that one scene, basically. So, like, for me, I think that's part of the charm of it. And as and- it's probably one of my favorite Andersons, which is why I'm putting it on here. It's it's hilarious all the way through. I think the story is very touching. And the music in it, oh, contender for best score. I don't know if we even talked about it in our best score episode. I know we didn't choose it. Right. But yeah. it's Alexander so good. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, probably, probably one yeah. of my favorite scores of his. Yeah, even the though I'm the man. Yeah, he I, I, like 
we analyzed the score in my film aesthetics class and how he's able to like do different like Leah motifs for different characters and stuff like that. And now when I'm thinking about our lessons, like of course it's a fantastic ensemble piece. Like I I just said that just because I I considered Grand Budapest Hotel, but I decided to go with Royal Tenenbaums. But I this is an ensemble cast nonetheless. Um, this is probably Wes Anderson's funniest movie. I just think yeah. Ray Fiennes just has the most killer lines. Like, just the way, like, oh, she's been murdered, and you think I did it. And he just runs away. He just runs. <laughs> so I fucking no, love that. I, I love seeing that, and just every time I see that that scene, I look at it, and I think in my head, that's Lord Voldemort. Yeah. Running for his fucking life. <laughs> it's so weird that he's Lord Voldemort. Um. And just like every time they get punched, there's so many times people get punched in the face and they get up with a bloody with one bloody nose, like just one stream of blood. It's it's just so good. It's so clever how he's able to frame each narrative and do that with aspect ratios. You know, it just that you can just tell there's so much passion and dedication put into this film, and you can tell there's so much passion and dedication put into the casting of this movie because the way he catches each character perfectly with someone who's famous, which makes it such a great ensemble cast, you know? Um, yeah. It's like this every is, role, somebody who's famous, you know? Yeah. This is fucking fantastic. I I remember I was such an asshole. Lucas Hedges is in this movie. and he's I know, he's like, like a baby. Role. He's a little baby in this movie. <laughs> by the bike. He's like, <laughs> that dude kind of burned out, though. I feel like... Yeah. It was after... Uh, Ben Boy. is home. Ben is back. Ben is ben back. Ben is yeah. back. Everyone's like, "All right, he's just he's doing the he's just he was just going off the Manchester by the Sea hype, you know." And it kind of burned out. Boy Anyways, erased not mid nineties. Yeah. yeah, it was just it was weird. Uh, yeah, fucking phenomenal movie. Chris, did you did you say? Yeah, anything? no, yeah. Um, I think yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel is easily my favorite of Anderson's films. It's one of the ones that like genuinely gets like an emotional reaction out of me whenever i watch it um and you know like i i've like like i said i've kind of like grown a bit desensitized to anderson especially like his kind of like quirkiness and like the kind of like kitschiness in his films but like for this film it works so beautifully i think Mm -hmm. um on top of everything you guys said which i all fully agreed with i really just love the overall craft of this film um, the amount of precision that it takes to do the things that they did in this film is like it's kind of understated because it's like if you're kind of like outside looking in on this film and you're kind of framed as kind of like outsider observing um, but like the production design in this film like that that shit is amazing the color paletting is incredible um, I think they do such a wonderful job with it um, I'm trying to think what else like I can highlight that you guys haven't talked about yet but it's so magical and so like kind of whimsical. It has this kind of fairy tale fun vibe to it, but it's still like grounded in on this level that like keeps it emotional and real to us as human beings. Yeah. Um it's like a yeah. fairy tale book, right? Like it is yeah. based on a book, but like on one hand it like it has that like it's like a fairy tale, but the characters act like real people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Ralph finds the way he speaks in this movie speaks like somebody from the modern day, which grounds it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, t- I definitely do agree. Um, this was, yeah, this is just a 
wonderful, fun movie. I Tony Rev. Tony Rev Rory. I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Ravioli or something. I don't know. <laughs> Just gave us, gave us that talent. Yeah, thank you. Gave us this talent. I will say this. Uh, yeah. Ethan, I'm going to be shocked if we don't double stack. We're not going to double stack. Because you, you haven't okay. seen my last movie. So, get what? shocked. Brandon get is officially fucking shocked. shocked. All right, Chris, let's get into the last round here. Okay. So, uh, my final pick is a film that actually meant a lot to me when it came out in 2018. Um, it is, I think this is the immediate thing that's going to give it away. Um, so, the ensemble cast existence, I remember I talked about this briefly in the beginning of the episode, was a foundational moment for in the history of modern oh, filmmaking. Yep. Okay. It is the first American studio film with an all-Asian cast since 1993, which was 25 years prior to this movie coming out. You, Brandon, I know you definitely have figured it out. Ethan, yep. yeah. you've probably figured it out. Yeah. Okay. It is uh, Crazy Rich Asians, um, starring Constance Wu, Henry Golding, Aquafina, Michelle Yeoh, Gemma Chan, Ken Jeong, Jimmy O. Yang, Nico Santos, Chris Pang, Sonoya Mizuno, and many more. But... None other, none more important than Prime Now Man himself, Ronnie Chang. <laughs> Prime, he's in this Prime, movie. I had yeah, no idea. He's a he's one of the cousins that she yeah. gets to meet. He's a really oh like dickish, Belf, fan, like wealthy, all, yeah, wealthy dickish, like Hong Kong. That's he's from so Hong Kong. good. Yeah, um, great movie. Um, anyway, um, yes, Crazy Rich Asians. The cast is absolutely stacked. It is literally most of, if not all of like the modern like comedy uh asian actors um and yeah so okay let's think um atop like a lot of like the kind of like style that is kind of shown off in this film they're they don't restrain very much they're very much like like let's let's kind of indulge in kind of like the fun luxury of the one per the upper one percent in this world so like you get these really decadent beautiful sets and everything but Behind all that, you have this really wonderful, heart-wrenching family drama that goes even further beyond, like, the economics that surround the film itself. Like, there's a lot, like, yes, the film is about rich people, and, but it really it's about one girl who is thrown into that world all of a sudden. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into this whole conversation about the economics of wealth and st stuff like that, because at least within the context of this film, that doesn't really matter that much. Um, what this film is really more about is about sociocultural politics and, and the role of family, um, specifically in regards to its central character played by Constance Wu, Rachel, whose identity as an Asian American puts her at odds with her significant other's family and her own sense of identity. Um, so like throughout this film, basically throughout this film, she feels consistently displaced, um, never really fitting in with with people in America because she's Asian, but never really fitting in in Asia because she's Asian American. Um, she's someone who kind of just innocently found herself in this difficult to navigate world. Um, and it kind and like, you know, obviously a very material world, one that's kind of like the entire family is scrutinizing her this entire time. Um, and it's beyond her control. And it commentates really beautifully on like, the archaic on like archaic traditions against like modernity and external influence. Um, 
yeah, like, you know, it, on the surface, right, this film does seem like a very standard, straightforward, romantic comedy drama, which, yes, it is, but it's elevated so much by such a poignant story about the modern world and intersectional identities. And, like, honestly, this movie, I think another part of its significance is that it was one of the big blockbuster films that came out recently that have really dismantled, like, that Asian stereotype. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that, there's that, um, as we all know, there's the whole uh, stereotype of, like, you know, oh, Asian guy in your film? Gotta be a nerd. Gotta be the computer hacker. Gotta be, you know, like, the Fu Manchu. There's no math in this movie. Yeah. What you're kung telling fu, me. There's no Kung Fu. There's none of that. It's, like, yeah. it's very, like, like authentic depiction of what it is to be Asian American and what it is to be Asian. And um, they do a really great job with that. Brandon, I know you've seen this movie and I know you like mm -hmm. it at least pretty well. Uh -huh. Ethan, you have not seen this movie. I really want to see this I'm movie. I'm waiting to see it with you, Chris. Yeah. All right. We got to do this sometime soon. Yeah. But yes. Uh, Brandon, since you've seen this movie, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing the trailers and thinking, this looks shit. <laughs> no and the that, marketing was god awful the marketing was awful it was like stereotypical rom-com but it highlighted the sidekick instead of the actual story and I, this was at the time where aquafina was just starting getting into hollywood and i know it was like not super long ago but like 2017 2018 like and they were hired highlighting her character and i'm like i've got fatigue you know i feel like this was the movie that like i i had no idea who she was before this like what, no, what I, I had seen was her. Was she in before? Okay, I, she was in the Oceans uh, movie. Was that she was before in this Oceans one? Eight. Okay. Yeah, it was before this one. And then there was, I think, wasn't she? I feel like she was in like one of the Pitch Perfect movies, right, Chris? Pitch Perfect. No, that's was not was her. her. Damn it. No, that's not her. Um, okay. She was no. This came out. Uh, well, the year before she was in Jumanji. No, no, yeah. that's she was. No, in that's Jumanji the year too. after. That's the no, year yeah, after. she wasn't even in the first one. Was this her big break? She no, I don't think it was because I'd seen her in things before. Was and she I on TV before? She, she was in Neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Is that the Seth Rogen, but, that guy from this? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I was very annoyed with her in the two movies that I had seen her in previously. So I, I was not looking forward to it because the, the marketing highlighted all of her character. And I really liked her in this movie. Uh, and I really liked the main story behind this movie. Because when I went to see it with my sister, I think this was... Um, we went to see it right before I went back to college. Uh, I think it was summer of 2017? 2018? What, what year was it? 20, this was 2018. 2018. 2018. So yeah. the summer... Uh, the, the week before I went back to college for sophomore year... My sister and I saw it at a theater and it was like, nobody was in the theater, but we were sitting there and I was like, this is actually pretty good. And I had seen the critics liking it or whatever, but it, it feels fresh and brand new. And it, like Chris says, it reinvents and ducks stereotypes of Asian cinema, like what you're used to seeing. And yes, it still has some tenets of it there, like with themes of family and stuff, because I feel like that is a very universal theme, but in the Asian films that I had seen previously, like that that was already like a big portion of what those films were about and so when i actually ended up seeing crazy rich asians i loved all the characters in it i loved the comedy in it the romance is very touching the relationship between henry golding and his mother is very interesting um yeah i just i i loved it and as far as the ensemble goes like i feel like the ensemble's gotten better because representation for these for uh asian 
Asian Americans and Hong Kongers and all of like, you know, imports, I would say, uh, are becoming more widespread. Well, they, it's true. They only act. They're only. I've just, never, on, I've just never heard that word. But I know what you mean. But you know, that—that's what you call foreign that actors. Like, Have you never that heard that? Feels before? derogatory. I don't know. It, it it's not. not. Yeah. No, <laughs> British actors are also called imports. Did you know that? I, I know. I know. I'm sure. I'm I know. sure. That, just the I'm way sure you like, like imports, just, and I was like. Like I, I, I place an order on Taobao.com. Got Henry my mail order bride. <laughs> Which, but like from, it, my it, mail order bride from Vietnam, we, we like import. <laughs> I didn't say they were products. I'm just saying culturally they are imports, and it's it's like interesting to see all of their stock rise in Hollywood because truly the only people I knew before going to see this movie were Michelle Yeoh because she's a legendary icon and she's been in a lot of Hollywood product. And Ken Jeong, because he was in the Hangover movies. I, I had only seen... Ken Jeong. I had never seen Ronnie Chang because I didn't watch The Daily Show, like, religiously, so I never saw him on there. And Constance Wu, I maybe caught her on one episode of, like, Fresh Off the Boat, but, like, she plays a very different character in that movie, so I was like... Or not movie, show. So it's like, I didn't really recognize her when I went to see this movie. And I'm so glad that I did, because look at how many stars we have from it now. It's an ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, all I can say is I love Ronnie Chang, and uh, I think uh, that uh, what's his Jim name? Snake James. Eyes. What's oh. Snake Henry Eyes? Golding. Henry, Henry Golding. Golding. That dude's a fucking hunk. God oh, damn. That's a good, that's oh. a good looking man. That, what a, that dude is a beefcake. That dude's a what a Chris. What a, what what a, a slice. Chris, Chris, we saw this together. Uh, once, right? I'm pretty sure we have. We right? watched it together once, but the first time I watched it, we were separated. And I remember when we talked about it, uh, we were like, "It's weird that they actually." It, and it wasn't just because he was Asian; it's because they often in movies when there's a romance, they'll show a guy taking off his shirt, and he'll be like, "Cut." Yeah, you know, but he's like not Gold, cut. He's like he's like reasonably cut. He's, he's like normal. Like, you know, like he's not like, like Henry Cavill. He's not like Channing Tatum. But he's mm-hmm. like he's still like a beauty, like a what a slice of a, a man! Slice, like, what, what a freaking beefcake! And I appreciate, I appreciate that he was somewhat normal. You know, his face was attractive, and obviously his voice. But like, it, it was like a, it was great. It was great to oh, see. Oh yeah, Henry Golding's yeah. British, uh, uh, British slash Australian accent. Wow, it's good. Yeah, so that's all. Wish I, I didn't show up in Snake Eyes. Wish it didn't show up in Snake Eyes. That dude needs to be a. Yeah, he's a superhero. He needs to be in a Marvel or DC movie. Who would you cast him as? It's oh now. Nah. Uh, I if you know wasn't already said? cast, I would. I would have cast him as Batman. I think in I think Asian he would have been a fantastic Batman. He just he has the build for it. I don't know, and just like the way he like scowled and stuff and Snake Eyes. That's what I. That's what I would have done personally. It, I feel like if Shang Chi wasn't. I, I feel like he could have been cast or casted as Shang Chi, but Simu Liu is like really good. I, yeah. I watched a few episodes of Kim's Convenience, and he brings like a grounded nature to that. Yeah. How about yeah, um yeah. Hulk? Like like as an Amadeus Cho. I think he's too old for that. Like Amadeus Cho, he's a young guy. Yeah, that's true. Like he's on like he's he's on the Young Avengers, you know. So he's got to be. And you could, I think you could you could like swap characters like 
in terms of like race so yeah. it doesn't really matter like to me that's true like obviously like not black panther but like <laughs> why not <laughs> uh don't want right, to get yeah. into it limitations <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I got. I got to check right. it out. I got to watch it with you, Chris. Okay, my last film is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Now, Chris, you and I were talking about this the other day about sort of like this philosophical concept uh, that we did, that kind of just blows our minds about how we as people have our own life paths and narratives and the concept of them crossing meeting and then going off and knowing that there are 7 billion people who have their own worlds like going on at the same time right now blows my mind. So the movie I want to talk about this, that I think perfectly captures this with a crazy good cast is his 1999 film Magnolia. Um, so the film Magnolia is a film about coincidences, right? Um, it tracks, it tracks these multiple characters. You got Tom Cruise, Philip, uh, Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, John C. Riley, Julianne Moore. Um, let's see. I'm trying, there's, there's more that I, I can think of like, uh, but yeah, it follows these characters and it's sort of like, sort of like love actually, where it's like, it's a web of stories, like different plot lines about these people, like just doing something. It's so different from the last. You have John Cirelli, who's a cop, and he's not. A, he's not a really good cop, and you don't know if he really likes being a cop. But he's lonely, and he like he call, like he gets himself involved with this one, like this coke addict who falls in love with her. He tries to like hang around, date her, and then you have uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's a nurse, and He's going on a quest to find this dying man's son, who is Tom Cruise, who is like this piece of shit dude who is written like this book about like picking up chicks and being like an alpha male. And like you follow his life. And then Julianne Moore is like the wife of this sick dude that Philip Seymour Hoffman's not like uh, taking care of. And she has her own thing of like uh, just her being depressed and stuff like that. And then you have William H. Macy, who's like he used to be like claimed as the smartest no not a piece <laughs> of shit he used to be like the smartest kid ever you know and now he like he he doesn't have like the funds for like this uh, uh oral surgery and stuff like that so you follow him it's it's really so hard to explain this film but like the concept of watching these people occasionally cross paths keep going but you're still in these different worlds you know it just it blows my mind and uh, one story that this is what I wrote my letterbox review on is I the the night I saw this movie the night before I the moment before I saw this movie I was driving down the um the street with my dad and we were behind an ambulance and in this ambulance was this um this old woman like surrounded by what I can assume is like her friends and family and some like um EMTs you know and I was just thinking to myself while I was watching this movie I'm like what what is the, what is the story that's going on in there you know like what is is this like is this the climax of whatever was happening is this the end or is this like the beginning of something that's going to ramp up to be much worse and you just you look at people's lives 
interacting with someone, whether that be like the cashier at a grocery store, like what is their whole, what's their whole deal? What's their whole life about? There's a whole cast of characters that they interact with that you have no fucking clue who they are, you know? And that's the, that's like the kind of things this movie brings out when you watch it. And it's three hours long, but PTA it's on makes Netflix it, now. It's on Netflix. PTA makes it feel like it goes by in an instant. I highly recommend YouTube watch this film because it blew me away the first time watching it. It is definitely, it's, it, I keep going back and forth of whether this is my favorite PTA. Like this one, the master and boogie nights. It's like, it's always rotating between those three. I just don't know which one it is, but Brandon, like you've heard about this love. film. Punch Drunk yeah. Love. That one's good, but I, I I don't know. It just doesn't crack the top for me. You know? It's uh, a cathartic movie. <laughs> you like wa- watching Adam Sandler scream at Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah. Fuck you! Um, I was so good. Yeah. What, As somebody who works... Uh, somebody yeah, works what? No, no, no. You go. Nothing to worry about. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, as somebody who's worked in customer service, I mean, it's very... Oh, incredible. yeah. I mean, <laughs> even though it's not like a customer service thing that they're yelling about, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, what do you, what do you think about Magnolia? I know you haven't seen it, but I mean, it's one of my biggest blind spots in terms of film because everybody, I feel like Magnolia, Scarface, Heat, and maybe in terms of modern film, like the John Wick movies are like my biggest, like empty spots, you know, because everybody talks about those movies. They're like the highest watched movies or the highest like rated movies that I haven't seen from like the past 25 years. And for good reason, right? I mean, I'm looking forward to it because I think we all, all three of us kind of got blue balled by our first uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie that we watched. I think we all watched like Phantom Thread first. I saw I saw The Master first. Okay, well, I saw Phantom Thread first and yeah. I remember not liking that movie very I much. And I not like that movie either. And it's like, it's an interesting concept. It just takes way too long to get there. And then also it's like, okay, that's it. Yeah. Um, but like all of everything that I've watched since I've liked a lot or liked at least a little bit. So I've liked, uh, there will be blood. I liked a lot. Uh, the master I liked, but I, I have problems with it. And, but I love boogie nights and I love, uh, punch drunk love. So his early work is really, what is like really big to me so I, this fits in among those so i'm really looking forward to it for that reason i don't know what to expect uh i've seen images from the movie it looks kind of crazy but yeah i don't know Chris, i don't know what else to say what, what's your what's yeah. your thoughts on magnolia so i have not seen magnolia i've only seen one two three i've only seen three pta films which are the really blood phantom thread and punch drunk love um and, like, so far, I have really liked all of them. Phantom Thread is... Okay, but I'm not going to talk about Phantom Thread right now. But, um, <laughs> uh, yes, I do think PTA has, like, such a real... Like, such a interesting, like, style. Because it feels like all of his movies are, like, somewhat different. I can't really lock down how to describe this guy as a director. He's very... He's very all over the place. He's kind of a chameleon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyway. But, yeah. I mean, like, Magnolia. Ethan, like you said, we talked about that philosophical concept about um like that existentially philosophical concept of like the flow of experience of time and like reality and shit like that and i i love that idea that he kind of like took this idea of like multiple branching like 
individuals who are seeing the world through their own lens and often might not even interact or whatever. And like, I think they do a really great, like, I haven't seen it, but I think like a film like this could do a really great job of depicting that concept. Um, so I do admire that a lot if this is, the, if that's what this film is going for. Um, just have yet to see it. So yeah, but I love the concept and I just look through the cast and yeah, pretty, pretty stackerinoed. Pretty stacked cash, if you ask me. All right. Well, Brandon, you want to wrap this up with your last pick that you apparently thought we were going to double stack, but maybe not. Well, it's funny. You know, it's just funny. You know, we, we both chose, uh, we both chose a, uh, Wes Anderson film. And now we're both choosing a PTA film. Cause I'm choosing 1997's Boogie Nights. Really? Uh, by Paul <laughs> wow, Thomas Anderson. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, it stars Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Heather Graham, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, Louis Guzman, Philip Baker Hall, Thomas Jane, Robert Downey Sr., Alfred Molina, you know, just like the hits. <laughs> just the hits. <laughs> oh. So it's like this movie has an even more stacked cast than Magnolia does. And <laughs> not only that, it's it's a great film about the porn industry and about like film in general. It, there's a lot of real life parallels between like sex icons in the film and like sex icons in real life, which is really interesting to dissect. It also isn't like it doesn't fantasize it as much as it like demonizes the industry. Like it, it kind of plays both sides to think about it. And it shows like the fun and the downside of it all, you know? And I love that. It's a funny movie. It's a touching movie. It's a sad movie. It pulls from a lot of different Hollywood films in the past. Ethan, I was, Ethan walked in while I was watching, <laughs> he walked in the house while I was watching a documentary about nudity in film. And there, he walked in during the bo- the Boogie Nights uh, uh, section of the film where they're sort of talking about like the importance of that movie yeah. and the ending of that movie because the ending is very, you know, nudity based uh, for what happens and there are so many things that are coded into the film if you are a film lover that you see like references to previous films that and i mentioned to ethan like this doesn't only make sense but it totally helps to have seen like three or four other movies to get this end scene you know what i mean and yeah i, I just love it it's probably my favorite pta um i did i did i said punch drug love because i wanted to throw you off the trail so i want you to guess what i had (laughs) yeah but uh this is definitely my favorite when i saw it i was like this is a fantastic ensemble movie and i have to mention it here yeah i should have got that i should have picked that i i i I thought you were gonna double stack and then when you said pta i was like i just i really wanted to talk about the concept the philosophical concept and how that's explored through an ensemble cast in magnolia which i still think I would have included that, but maybe I would have just done two PTAs. I don't know. Like, because this one, yeah, this one is better than Magnolia. Like, it's just so. How? Okay. This dude was 26 motherfucking years old when he made this movie. He was four years older than us, right? He's as old as my sister. No, four years. Wait, no, no, no. She's 25. He's a year older than my sister when he made this movie. And that, like, this feels like one of the greats made it, you know? Like, like this feels Scorsese. like this feels like Scorsese made this movie, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. just the way he's able to to track the movement through a scene, you know, especially when there's like when there's a big party scene. 
You know, like the first time Mark Wahlberg goes to one of the parties at Burn Reynolds' house. Yeah. And then again yeah. at the uh, the New Year's party. Um, yep. Where the Later big the thing movie, with yeah. William H. Macy happens. Yeah. Ca- yep. Caps off the party. You just the way he's able to direct the flow of conversation of the the really the feeling of going to a party, you know, because like I felt like I was in this situation when I go to college parties where you just like you just walk around the house, you know, and you just like sort mm-hmm. of go into one conversation. Chris, you kind of talk about this whenever we have get togethers of the pods of conversations like yeah. something's happening. Yeah. each thing. This is what he does. And I think he does it better than anyone, better than Robert Altman. Better than yep, and like it's. And I just, love Altman. So and it's just amazing how he's able to go from like Mark Wahlberg talking to John C. Riley, like Burt Reynolds talking to uh, what is it? He probably talked to uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Maybe no, he didn't no Philip Black. Uh, Philip, Philip Baker yeah, Hall. Yeah, Baker. Uh, yeah. And then you know Don Cheadle over on the other side of the room, and then of course William H Macy. Um, it's just. Uh, it's so good. Chris, yeah, I think this you'd love it. You'd love it. This Chris, movie is a comp. Sorry. Yeah, I was I think I was we were about to bring up the exact same thing. Chris, if you like the nice guys, if you like the Big Lebowski, it's sort of just like grounded absurdism in the Los Angeles, in like the history oh, of the I, film I, industry in Los Angeles. In the seventies. You know? The seventies, yeah. And it's kind of it's like it's kind of noir, you know, kind of neo noir, but Yeah um it doesn't dominate the movie no it doesn't dominate the movie but it's at all. like i i would say it's like an altman movie mixed with like goodfellas and dazed and confused yeah like which each, is kind of a weird comp, each but... scene feels like the club scene in goodfellas where they're going goodfellas. through the, the kitchen you know yeah he, every scene feels he like is that. just the master of the long take and like making you not, not notice cuts at all you know it's just it's phenomenal, Chris. You gotta check out this movie. Yeah, I'm. I'm just looking at this like like everything you guys said has been amazing. I've heard about this movie so many times. I've heard it's beautiful and like not beautiful but amazing. Yeah. Um, and I'm like scrolling through this cast list right now on Letterboxd, and I'm like, man, they yeah, really just the hits, literally Don just Cheat. the hits. This is probably my favorite Don Cheadle performance. Yeah, the donuts, the donut shop scene. Come on, dude, it's so good. It's so dude. good. Like, can I just say something kind of weird that just happened to me? Yeah. I'm looking through Boogie Nights like cast right now and I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I get to the actress that plays Little Bill's wife. Um, who well, Little Bill is uh William H. Macy's character. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh I recognize her for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave it at that, buddy. I didn't want to. Oh, did her. they let la- <laughs> I'll cut this out. Did they like did they cast a yes yep. yeah real life yeah, and real uh life. they did that in the swedish uh movie i watched at sundance the pleasure movie uh-huh they did the same thing with like kendra spade she's in that movie like as a like normal cast member not just a porn star interesting i love that it's interesting the porn stars <laughs> it's interesting the porn stars i've heard i've heard um cut this out as well i heard julianne moore is also yeah she's revealed in this yep wow. oh She's not she, she's not only topless. In this she movie. she is the best she's ever been in this movie. Like, oh wow. Physically. It's just you're just like, God damn. She's better than Big Lebowski. Is, is it better out. in Gloria? Is she better in this or in Gloria Bell? Uh better in this, because there's more. Well, no, you're talking about yeah. 
Yeah. And then also, and then, uh, she, she's uh, younger this movie, but like, she's still kind of a milf, you know? Yeah. Mm. Like literally dude. Come on. But Heather Graham in this movie. Yeah. She Sharoni indeed. All right. That is a fantastic way to end this stack, Brandon. So before we get to pick in this final stack, let's go through um, each of our picks one more time. Chris, do you want to start us off? Yep. My films were X-Men Days of Future Past, Kung Fu Panda, and Crazy Rich Asians. And my films were The Royal Tenenbaums, The Hateful Eight, and Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Brandon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, uh, we're not going to pick No, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I forgot my first movie. Love Actually. Yeah, it's a forgettable-ass oh, yeah, fucking movie. You. No, I, I forgot my second movie, too. All right. Love Actually, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Boogie Nights. <laughs> Dude has the memory of, like, a fucking pigeon. All right. <laughs> Only when I'm on this podcast. It's because I have a deer in the headlights. I'm literally looking at my light right now as we're recording. Don't am, stare I'm, into the light, oh. you dingus. I'm seeing spots now. All right, I have a I have a pitch. I have a pitch. Okay. All right. So, um, I think let's. I I think Boogie Nights is a must be on this. It's just the way we gushed about it. Um. Yeah. I think, I think we do we have, have to pick. Animated. I think we should. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think we should have a West Wes Anderson, and then I think Kung Fu Panda would be an awesome pick because yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about like animated ensemble cast. You know, I um, thought about Lego Movie, but I don't. I forgot if we chose it. Yeah, I feel uh, like I would. Yeah, like I don't think we did. I'd probably. Oh man, I'd probably use them equally. It's just like Crazy Rich Asians and Kung Fu Panda are available. Like are both films I can imagine putting in different kinds of stacks. Like, they're not like, right. it doesn't feel like this is, like, they're meant to be for this, but, like, they both work really well. But, remember, there's two other Kung Fu Panda movies. That's true. I, I, I agree. Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. And then... Can we... Oof. Do I want to forfeit this episode? I very, you, I very well could. You know what? No, I think we can use. I think we can use Grand Budapest Hotel again. I think we can use it again for something else. You know, there's so many things I to agree. unpack with that movie that I feel like that can be recycled again. So why don't we I go agree. Royal Tenenbaums and Boogie Nights? What I'm do you cool think, Chris? I'm cool with that. Um, Royal Tenenbaums, Tenenbaums, Boogie Nights, Kung Fu Panda, okay. and now we'll think of an order. Okay. Yeah. So okay. what should the order be then? I think we should go smallest ensemble to biggest ensemble because Royal Tannenbaum's first, smallest ensemble, then... I think Kung Fu Panda's smaller. No. Yeah. All right, then we progressively get more mature because yeah. you got you got your Kung Fu Panda, which is a kid's movie. You've got... The kids Royal can Tannenbaum, go to bed early, you know? <laughs> yeah, We then you watch the adult... Uh, Royal Tannenbaums, and then he watched the extra, extra adult XX NC seventeen Boogie yeah. Nights. I like it. Okay, yeah, you progressively just get more. <laughs> the Royal Tannenbaums, Boogie Nights, and Kung Fu Panda. 
That's the kind of shit we pull on this show. That's right. That's like I, I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> Fuck you. This is the kind of movies you're watching when you listen to Stacked. Depression, depression, sex edition, panda and a magic. Panda who can fight. <laughs> no, this is a good movie about self love, which is what you need when you're watching After depression your... and sex addiction. <laughs> you need self love. You know, and well, believing that you Boogie Nights kind of is about self love, if you think about it. It is, but not it, the characters don't really achieve it. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. But is 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 the road trip because of the journey or the destination? Should we get back to this discussion? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. This, I I love this stack. Oh my god! All right, let's run it down. This is Stack's official. Uh, ensemble cast movie, final stack, starting with Crick. Crick? Crick. Yep, down. That's how Utahns say Creek. Did you know that? Down on the Crick. Chris, start us off with our first ensemble. Our first film is a 2008 animated film uh, directed by Mark Osborne and John Stevenson titled Kung Fu Panda, an incredible uh, movie about uh, self-love, identity, and acceptance in fate and the future um, and has an incredible cast of uh, characters and actors and honors uh, the Chinese aesthetic that it goes for beautifully, Kung Fu Panda. And our second film is by one of the most prolific ensemble cast directors, that is Wes Anderson, and probably his first foray into the ensemble cast, which is The Royal Tenenbaums, a movie uh, about... A dysfunctional family where you get A-list actors cast into each roles in this expansive, rich family, um, and it's one. Of, yeah, it's one of his first greats, you know. And I feel like you got to check it out, Royal Tenenbaums. And our last film is Boogie Nights, the yes. best Paul <laughs> Thomas Anderson movie. A great ensemble piece about the porn industry, the goods and the bads, um, and honestly, a terrific depiction of sex life. Uh, I, I highly recommend you check this out, and I hope you have a good time. My original review <laughs> uh, for Boogie Nights was going to be the same one I did for The Human Condition 3, where I just said, this happened to me once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i went to the porn industry because my massive cock yeah you know <laughs> yeah uh-huh but also let me tell you something i feel like i say and our last film all the time i'm just yeah. good at picking finales <laughs> you are that's true we should have a compilation of you saying and our last film all right that is true yeah you Brand- really do like you always say you know, you're always the one to say and our last <laughs> film what can i say i feel like i'm usually first you're good at beginnings and Brandon's good at endings. So Brandon, why don't you end this episode of Stacked for us? You have the floor. Oh, sh- say your peace. Say your goodbyes. <laughs> this, this is your last episode. <laughs> say your goodbyes. <laughs> right, Brandon, I want you to imagine that I'm firing you from the show after this episode. What would you say? If you knew this was your last time on Stacked. <laughs> I just want to thank everyone for the opportunity <laughs> that I have received to co-host and co-create this podcast. But now that I'm getting kicked off. <laughs>